Halló allsömul og velkomin í hlaðvarpi gott fólk. Hér fáum við innsýn í hinn umsu viðfásefni, verðandi og vaksandi leiðtóga öllum stigum. Ég heiti Guðrún Högnadóttir og er framkvæmdastjóri Franklin Kofi á Norðurslóðum og fæð hann heiður að leiða góð samtöl við reynslumikla viðmælendur úr íslensku og erlendu atvinnulífi. Í dag fáum við hljóðnæmanum Sheryl Smith sem hefur þjálfað fleiri en 250 íslenska markþjálfa sem hafa sótt alþjóðlega vottað nám við opna háskólan í háskólum í Reykjavík. Nú, Sheryl hefur sótt landið heimtæplega 40 sinnum, hún var lengi vel aðstóðar fórstjóri Corporate Coach U og starfaði um áratugabil sem stjórnandi á sviði markaðs og sölumála hjá IBM bæði í London og Ástralíu. Hún heldur hún að heimahöfn í Kanada og á ferðu sinni sem markþjálfi, kennari og ráðgjafi í fleirum heimsálfum hefur hún kynst öflugri stjórnum, öflugum stjórnendum og ímsum tækifærum til umbóta. Hvaða lærdum allir þið að nýta ykkur af hennar vegferð og hennar kynnum af íslenskum leitum gott fólk? So, hello, friend. Well, he- hello, my friend. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, uh, I'm actually quite excited to be talking to you because we we do our remote communication and it's just not as special as hearing your voice. Exactly, exactly. And I am so honored to have you here on one of our first episodes of Gott Folk, mm-hmm. which, as you know, in Icelandic translates to good people, which is a very nice way of greeting the people. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. It is. But it's so good to see you here on the screen. I know that our, our listeners can't see you, but it, what has always amazed me is that you have actually been to Iceland around 40 times these past years. What on earth brings you here from the west coast of Canada? Well, I have to tell you, and one of my regrets is that I didn't buy an apartment the first year I went, which was 2005, (laughs) when I did some uh, work with managers introducing this notion as um, manager leader with coaching skills. And imagine if I bought that apartment all those oh, years ago. Oh. In hindsight. Oh. <laughs> yes, 2020 vision in hindsight, yes. But it was um, coaching that uh, with managers, which is what brought me Excellent. all those years ago. Over and over again. Mm-hmm. Keeps me coming back. That's wonderful. And how many people have you worked with here? How many students are in your cohorts? Well, I've done... Um, two different cohorts. So when I think of the managers wanting the skills of coaching, but not wanting to be a professional coach, there's probably been over 100. But in terms of those who wanted the full bodied, full out professional coaching training, 260 to be exact. And I'm, I still have a memory of meeting every one of them. And on return visits to Iceland, I often bump into them at bonus or something from one of the previous years. That's quite amazing. Quite a few lives you touched here. <laughs> yeah. 
But if we go all the way back, um, I always recall you telling me that you started uh, your career with IBM mm -hmm. and worked with them in a number of positions in marketing, both mm -hmm. in Australia and the UK. Tell me what it was like um, riding that initial wave of the technology revolution uh, back in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I often say to people, I've been around this for so long, I predate the personal computer. <laughs> And it and it's absolutely true. And I was in, in the UK, I was part of the launch team for the personal computer. I think the reason they asked me is the early PCs had to be assembled and I had small fingers so I could get all the memory chips onto the motherboard to put them together. Um, I remember being part of the launch of a product called the Display Writer where spell check was introduced and having somebody in the front row pushing back about uh, IBM has lost the plot if they feel that people don't know how to spell and would waste technology on automatic spell check. I would love to see that person today. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Life before spell check. Did that ever yes. exist? <laughs> yes. Well, I can tell you it did. Yes. <laughs> a, a quick story. I remember sitting on a chairlift with three young uh, people who told me they worked for Microsoft. And I said, I have a little quiz for you here. You know, on emails, it says CC. Yes. What does that CC stand for? And none of these three bright young things, as we used to call them in IBM, the bits, bright, have any idea. They were guessing. And then I said, what do you suppose BCC stands for? And that right. really fox. And of course, that goes back to carbon copy and blind carbon copy when, in typewriter days before we had the technology to, to do that. Exactly. And so it's a lasting trail from um, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was the years that us uh, blondes uh, used to use the Tipex <laughs> on our screens uh, to right. correct. <laughs> <laughs> to career for spell check ah, before joke, spell check yes. absolutely yes. but i mean in, ibm is a mover in this market mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. obviously over 100 years old um, bringing together both uh, people and technology and what always amazes me is it seems to also have generated a whole cohort of people who have found their passion and purpose in the area of coaching why is that? Why are there so many people coming out of IBM with this focus? That's a, um, a good question. And I've often thought about it in interesting ways. And well, let, let me just tell you a little story. I remember in my early days as a marketing rep in London, we moved from 101 Wigmore Street to 103 Wigmore Street. And we're busy, we have sales quotas, and away we go. On moving day, the head of the uh, of IBM escorted us in a single line from our old office to our new office, and we arrived at a desk with our name on it and uh, a, a new desk pad and a welcome and a nice little speech from um, uh, this man whose name I don't recall. And I think about that story to say, because as we know from the whole leadership piece, that the role of a leader is to remove obstacles. 
uh, so that you can just get on with doing your job. And that little story of us being marched from our old office to our new one, which was waiting for us to just sit down and get back to work, was a really, really fine example of servant leadership, of just being in service of others so that we could do the job. Absolutely. So I think we experienced leadership in a way that involved us. We were always part of the conversation. So you ask me, what do you suppose is the reason why our cohort have evolved into embracing coaching? I think it's because we experienced the benefits without without the label. Mm. We 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 the we were part of um, a leadership mindset that embraces what we now understand to be coaching. Absolutely. So mm. hands on, firsthand experiencing um, what true servant leadership is. Mm-hmm. And I love that story because it reminds me of just where the the uh, concept coaching comes from, or the word of mm-hmm. the not coming from the world of sports, but to coach was to move students, I believe it was in the Oxford That's right. Cambridge, in a coach That's... between knowledge stages. So this yes. sort of um, vehicle of, mm-hmm. of learning mm-hmm. and growing. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely wonderful. true. Yeah, so it's a, a good reminder that the connection to coaching is uh, all about moving people forward. It's not about going into the past, which is why I, I cringe sometime when people think coaching is just another form of counseling. Mm. And and it's, it's not. It's about the future. It's about moving forward and building on your knowledge and learning. Yeah. I recall that you um, at some point told me about how the, the London press used to mock the, the application of a spell check. Mm-hmm. To what extent have you experienced this cynicism as a pioneer in the field of coaching? <laughs> I hate to tell you, I still experience it still. We, we aren't there yet <laughs> looking at, at the world. Um, the, the examples that I can share with you are all around the umbrella of I'm too busy, I don't see the benefit, it's too soft, we have a bottom line, we have a yeah. business to run, and that when things are good is a nice to have, but we're too busy right now and I don't see the connection between my bottom line and coaching. Yeah. That And that theme uh, certainly is quieter than it, it was in the mid-90s when I first entered the profession, uh, but it, I'm afraid it's still there. There are some good things happening that are causing leaders to change their mind. And I'm very encouraged and excited by that. Excellent. And, you know, from this incredibly fast tempo of workplaces and this relentless and unforgiving Mm -hmm. emphasis on the top and bottom lines, like you were mentioning, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what place or purpose does coaching actually serve in our modern workplace? I would tell you it allows us to attract and retain top talent. 
more and more the best and the brightest are interviewing organizations as equally as the organization is interviewing the applicant. And uh, the, their questions are being asked. How? What opportunities are available for my growth and development? What opportunities are available for me to be part of the, con the conversation, the decision-making, <clears throat> to input in the direction that I'm going? Uh, so I think it's a non-negotiable core competency for organizations today. And for those who are still being led and still have a mindset that uh, I'll be the one that tells you what to do, I, th I think that they're in the sunset, not the sunrise. Yeah, yeah. And if we go back to that core competency, um, mm -hmm. in essence, what are these core skills that a manager um, could leverage on a daily basis? What are the mm -hmm. core coaching skills? I'd start first with a mind, the mindset. And uh, one of the fears that leaders have is that they're, this is going to be anarchy, that all people are going to be able to do whatever they want because that was their goal. And I want to remind leaders and and, and those who are part of the day-to-day -day organization is that you are still responsible for the what and why. Hmm. Okay, here's what I need you to do. So you will still have the parameters, the boundaries of the job. We need to, I don't know, cut our expenses by 5%. That's the what. And the why of that is whatever it may be. The coaching piece is the how. Hmm. And in the old mindset, is the managers thought they were responsible for what, why, and how. So they still have the what and why. So the how brings in the coaching conversation. So uh, it creates the, the partnership conversation. So first of all, I'm telling you what the what and why is and asking you, all right, do you understand? What questions have you got? All right, now that you're on board to that how, are you going to contribute to making that happen? Yeah. So now we get into the core skills. Listening, top of the list. Listening does the heavy lifting for coaching. Yeah. I'm listening for between the words, not just the words out of your mouth. I'm listening for your hesitation, your enthusiasm, um, your cynicism, your you know, unasked questions. If I listen carefully between the words, I'm going to uh, gain so much more. The other are the kinds of questions that I ask. And uh, one of the key reasons why uh, coaching works in organization is it builds in accountability. So part of this conversation with my listening and my question is we're going to leave with your plan that you're committed to. So in our next conversation, we will pick up on how you did with your plan and what we can learn from that. So if the plan, if you don't step up to your commitments, um, that's what we're going to be talking about from accountability. So those are a couple of high level key skills. Absolutely. So it starts with your paradigms, your attitude yes. towards the work. And then the, the questioning, the, the listening, obviously, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. this notion of accountability. And in many ways, this sounds like a very dramatic and fundamental shift from the command and control to unleashing potential. Mm -hmm. To what extent 
have you um, viewed leaders around the world really embrace this potential of coaching? Um, well, all organizations um, around the world have some measure of it now is what I would say. Now, I've just said all. I would say the majority. And I'm saying that confidently because recently I read the report, the 2022 Con Global Consumer Report on Coaching from the ICF, which is our governing body, the International Coaching Federation. And they employed... Um, uh, an accounting firm, a consulting firm to go out and do a thorough, rigorous piece of research. And they do this every few years. And what this consumer report is telling us, thankfully, is the understanding of coaching is going up all the time. And the application of coaching is also going up. So we're seeing it more and more in organizations. Culturally, uh, it looks a little different. There are still some issues like age, you know, can a younger person coach an older person in some cultures, uh, other cultures that are, are have always been more of a command and control are seeing the benefits and embracing it slowly. The obvious is to think that it's younger people who've got it and older people who haven't. And that is not my observation. It it uh, we have young resistors and old resistors. We have young uh, embracers and older. So it's it, I'm not going to suggest that it's an uh, age thing. It's a mindset and it's an attitude. Yeah, and this mindset and this attitude has obviously generated significant numbers for the industry of coaching. Yes. And uh, I recall seeing some numbers uh, where there's over 85,000 coach practitioners globally, mm -hmm. which is a 33% increase in just five years. Yes. What do you think of the, about the, coach, the industry of coaching in the future? Uh, well, I, it's just so wonderful. When I first started, it was a very narrow application of coaching. We were coaching either individuals who were doing something in their life different, possibly uh, moving and making a plan or maybe a career change. And then in organizations, it was almost a skill development. Now the most wonderful applications for coaching are showing up. So the applications are broadening. In the not-for-profit world is one of the biggest areas that we're we're seeing coaching grow with volunteers. Another big growth area is in education. Mm. We're seeing uh, coaching, basic coaching skills being taught to five-year-olds. Oh, my heart sings to think that we are, are equipping our young, young people with listening and questioning and caring skills to be interested in uh, working together to come up with better solutions. So the future of coaching is still sunrise. We we are climbing. Uh, we're going to be in places we didn't even know were possible. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And this notion of seeking first to understand and then to be understood, I mean, yes. it's an ageless concept. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. I recall also this piece of research that indicated that um, in this industry of coaching, which is, is growing at a phenomenal rate. Mm -hmm. uh, 
females or women account for over 68% of the managers or leaders using these coaching sales. What is it about the X chromosome that yes. uh, makes <laughs> women more prone to using these skills? Well, I'll answer it a little differently by saying that is one of the observations or factors that cause some men to run away from coaching. It's a girly thing, you know, it's mm. the women, it's that the perception that it's a nurturing, caring, without truly understanding the power of coaching, the power of challenging and and uh, digging deeper and pushing people further than they thought they could go and holding their feet to the flame. That's all part of what we do in coaching. I have a, um, a hunch and I'm one of the ones, I saw potential in changing our toxic workplaces with this thing called coaching. Mm -hmm. And that's what motivated me to become involved. And I knew as soon as I started my training, I was with my own tribe because our conversations are, we have to stop burning people out in the organization. Great talent is walking out the door or, you know, we all have discretionary effort. So there is the quit and stay. The, you know, the person is still there, but their heart left. And coaching taps into that discretionary effort, taps into people's hearts and motivation. And uh, we know that no problem can withstand the constant burden of people working to get past that obstacle. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've indirectly answered your question. Yes, we're seeing more women, but luckily we're seeing more men finally saying, ah, I'm missing something here. Yeah, yeah. And I think the beauty of coaching, it's its its not rocket science. It's a simple, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. noble skill that we can yes. use every day in any situation. Oh, they're, I think they're life skills. Coaching skills are life skills. Uh, we hear in my uh, coach training classes, we hear wonderful stories all the time, people coming back and saying, you won't believe this. I talked to my teenage son for the first time last night in a way that we haven't talked in years. Wonderful, wonderful. Applicability beyond the workplace. Um, oh, yes. Into the homes yeah. and our communities, absolutely. Mm -hmm. In Iceland, we have this saying, How does that translate into Canadian? <coughs> so it's actually, it's, it's the guest's eye is wise. It's very yes. perceptive. Yes. And being a guest here in Iceland for over 40 times, what is your perception or how would you describe leaders here in Iceland? What is their sort of common denominator? Well, I would tell you a couple of things. Remember when um, you and I first started to work together when I first came to Iceland in 2005. Uh, one of the observations that I made is a very passive response from the people sitting in the room with me, almost like the expectation that I was the one to do the work. And uh, people were attentive. They had pen and paper or their, you know, whatever uh, there. But it was as if I was going to dump knowledge. And I wondered if that's the way that they worked uh, in their own organizations where I just, whatever, you know, whatever you want me to do, okay, I'll go away and do it without asking any questions. 
So that is, of course, is not the way I work, because you have experienced me. I am very much part of the Socratic interaction. We put an idea out there and we debate it and discuss it. We work, we, we debrief it, we do some exercise, some learning, we lock in the learning, we build on it. That was hard to do um, uh, all those years ago. And when I went in to do some on-site work in organization, that was my observation as well, too. However, fast forward to 2022, um, that is not what I'm seeing anymore. And I would propose to you that the leaders of Iceland today would not even accept that style of um, just the quiet, passive. They're, they want their voice to be part of the conversation. But what about this? I have an idea. I have some experience. Well, that is the best gift that a conversation can have with somebody saying, you know, I, I've been thinking about this, or I know from my own experience, that's how we come up with much better ideas. So from so, a passive, reactive mode to an active, creative. Yes, yeah. And once again, I would say it's not necessarily an age thing. However, I do think new people into the workplace mm. would not accept that passive top-down telling at all. And as we all know, everywhere around the world is short of people. Staff shortages, theme of the day. So it is... Um, the marketplace of the employee who wants to say, I'm not going to stay here. If my voice isn't heard, yep. then I'm out of here. Yeah. So we're back to the, the core of, of, you know, attracting and retaining talent, yes, unleashing yes. that potential and really, yes. you know, creating value through good mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm, Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Cheryl, I know you're an avid golfer. I am. Not a good one, but an avid one. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to share any statistics with us. <laughs> but I would love to ask you to share some insights from the world of golfing. Um, what lessons can we draw from the golf course that can we can apply um, in the workplace? Sort of just three or four mm -hmm. uh, you know, su suggestions on how we can okay. improve Icelandic leaders or workplaces? I love that question. Thank you for it. Well, first one, top of mind. As a golfer, we are allowed 14 different clubs in our bag. There's a reason for that. Each club has a, a, a different job. If we went out with one club, we would have a very, very limited success on the golf course. And yet, as leaders, we walk in the door. Some people walk in the door with one golf club. And uh, I believe that there, uh, the, the work that we need to do if you're in a leadership role is that you need to be able to identify and flex your style to what the situation needs. You know, the old, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I know from my own e experience as a leader, I would have been labeled by my peers and direct reports as a pace setter. I was roll my sleeves up, get involved and try it and do it. And it was almost as if I was waving my hand, say, hurry and catch up. You, I had one club. 
So uh, one of the things I, I would say for the connection between golfing and leadership is that we need to um, have many different styles of leadership and draw on them appropriately. The other thing I, I'm going to take from, from golf is there's no end point in what we need to learn, how we can improve. I have heard people say, I know all I need to know in order to do this job. They have stopped learning. And in golf, we know we still need to practice. We can still get better. Even the people who do it for a living miss a putt. They still go and uh, uh, practice all the time. And I'll give us one last idea, I think, from golf and leadership is that we focus on one thing at a time, that we clear our mind and focus and just have that key thought in our head to focus on that. You know, when we talk about uh, uh, coaching is a relationship, a partnership. You can tell when somebody is somewhere else. They're looking at you, but you know their mind is somewhere else. And we all know the value of feeling heard, feeling like you're the most important person in the conversation. That one thing at a time, the focus. So Excellent. great question. And I wow. you know, hadn't really thought about it that way. Thank you for asking well, it. What incredible answers. So flexing your styles, use those yes. 14 clubs, adapt. Yes. Make sure that you continue to learn. Do not yes. you know, have that stagnant and focus, clearing your mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, a good friend of mine told me once that the reason that I golf uh, she said is because it combines that wonderful world of, you know, just going outside and playing. Yeah. But also this wonderful notion of meditating or focusing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that is also what the best workplaces and the best uh, leaders are, are bringing us. Mm-hmm. Of making work fun, exciting, yes. a place yeah. to grow, yeah. and a place to contribute. Mm-hmm. But Cheryl, it's always wonderful to to uh, listen to you, to uh, really experience and watch your, your, your wisdom, whether it's IBM or Iceland. Any sort of final thoughts, anything you'd like to share with these listeners here in Iceland? Oh, oh good and great question also. You ask good questions. Must be oh, a coach. I learned from the best. <laughs> One uh, one thought I, I will throw into the conversation at that I still sadly hear is the resistance that some high performing high potential that's a better word high potential um, workers have is they they're afraid that if they work with a coach they will be perceived as less than not as capable not as able so. there's still a notion that working with a coach means there's a problem. And that comes from the language that uh, I hear managers use. Oh, oh, there's a, there's a problem with Thomas. We better, we better coach or mentor. I, I would also say people aren't distinguishing coaching and mentoring and use it all as if it was one word and the same thing. So there's still the perception that working with a coach is a, that's a sign of weakness, that there is a performance problem. Imagine telling that to an Olympic athlete. Oh, you want to get a gold medal and you're working with a coach? Oh, you must be a loser. 
So somehow we need to break that perception in organizations. We ought to be demanding that as part of our compensation, that a part of our support to do the best we can and to really make a difference in the organization that we get assigned or we get a chance to choose uh, a, a professional, appropriately trained coach to work with. Absolutely. And I think that we should close this conversation in this area of strength, mm -hmm. but also uh, gratitude. And not only from me, but your, your 350 godchildren <laughs> here in Iceland and all the organizations you've just. <laughs> and I think, you know, the way that I've experienced coaching, it's, uh, it's a very generous community, generous mm -hmm. community. Generous community it is indeed. And this is the way I also perceive our relationship, um, mm -hmm. learning and, and giving, and that continues to give forward. But Cheryl, it's always a joy. Best of luck with everything. Live life in crescendo. And I look forward to reconnecting soon. My pleasure, Gurren. Thank you for the opportunity for this. It's been very special. Wonderful. Take care. Hlaðvarpið gott fólk er styrkt af Franklin Covey á Íslandi. Við umbreytum vinnustöðum með því að þróa einstaka leiðtoga, mögnu teimi og skapa menningu árangurs til vaxtar. Kíktu við á franklincovi.is eða bara vegferð.is.